the title for this week is God Calms the Storm. Uh, God Calms the Storm. Uh, you, you know those times in Sunday school or church in general, maybe when you're not paying attention, just for a second though, obviously, um, and the Sunday school teacher looks over and is like, what do you think this passage is about? And you like, I really have no idea. The go-to answer, right, A number one is always Jesus. And it's usually obvious when you say that, that you're just grasping at straws. But for this passage that we're going to go through today, that answer is exactly right. So those of you who struggle paying attention, this text is for you. Because I can ask you at any point during the sermon, what is this about? And you can say Jesus, and I'll be like, man, that is right. You are paying attention. You are on it. Um, This passage is all about Jesus. He is the entire focus. And that passage is Jesus calming the storm. And and you'll see why we called it God calms the storm later on. Um, Mark chapter 4, 35 to 41. Mark chapter 4. 35 to 41, and we'll jump around Mark 4 a little bit this morning, but this is where we'll be for for most of the time. Mark 4, 35 to 41. On that day, when evening came, Jesus said to them, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea Obey him. Okay, the first thing I want you to see about this passage is the details here. This passage, though small, is packed full of different things. And one of those things that it's full of is details. We're told told it was evening, right? We're given the time of day. We're told Jesus went out onto the lake just as he was, which means he didn't change clothes or anything before he left. He literally went straight from the boat he was teaching on, used that boat to get out into into the sea. Um, We're told there were other boats in the area, right? And then we don't really see them later on. So why are we told that here? We're told where on the boat Jesus was asleep. Not just that he fell asleep, right? But where he was on the boat. We're told not only where he was asleep, but we're told what he was sleeping on while he slept. Why, though? These things don't really seem necessary for the story. You know, the, the main point of the story. And you might say... Uh, Look, details like this, they don't really matter. And you'd be right if this was a legend. Details don't matter in legends, but they do in history. Who cares that there are other boats? Why put in these details? Because they're not just details. They're memories. And you know, especially because we're in the South and we love telling stories, my wife gets really mad at me for doing this all the time. You know that when you tell a story, and the only other person in the room right now is a preacher, so he knows this too. You know that when you tell a story, you always put in extras that don't need to be added to the story to get the point across, right? Amen. But you put them in because they're a part of your memory, right? We, we don't know, you know, wh- what was the fabric that Hercules wore, right? Right. Or, or how long the Odyssey and all, all these different things. 
but when we talk about our memories, we always put in these details. September 11th, 2001, when the Twin Towers were hit, I remember, like a lot of you, I think, I remember exactly where I was. I was in sixth grade. I was sitting in the back of Miss Mosley's math class at Ashworth Middle School. I didn't have to do any kind of, of hard thinking to remember this either. We turned on the TV in class, which we all thought was cool as, as middle schoolers, and we watched Billy Graham pray for the nation. These details that I just told you, when you think about it, they don't really matter in the big story of 9-11. But they matter for me because they, they ground it in reality. They ground this big event, these little details, they don't really matter. They matter to me because they ground this big event in history into the reality of my life. And it's the same thing for Mark here. I think we can agree that what Jesus is about to do is pretty legendary, except it isn't legend. These details help remind us that it really happened. It's evening, according to verse 35. Jesus has been spending all day teaching. You know that just from reading the text leading up to this. Telling parables to help the crowds and his disciples understand him better. Understand the kingdom of God better. And in Mark 4.10, Jesus begins to do something specific with these parables. In Mark chapter 4, verse 10. And this gives a, a big picture of what we're really trying to do here. So Mark 4.10 says this. As soon as he was alone, that's Jesus, as soon as Jesus was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. So, so, here's, so here's what this means. Jesus will share a parable, and the people may reject his teaching and leave, some of them, but some, including his disciples, will kind of stay after class, and, the, and they'll ask him questions about the parables. They'll want to discuss it. And in these extra sessions, for those who really wanted to know, Jesus would break the parables down and explain it to them so that the disciples could have a better understanding of what he was trying to say. And we see an example of this in, in Mark 4, 33 and 34. So Mark chapter 4, 33 and 34, it goes like this. So remember, Jesus is kind of breaking down these parables, right? So look at this, Mark 4. 33 to 34, with many such parables, Jesus was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it, and he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. So Jesus is teaching them in parables, but he's also explaining the meaning behind the parables to his disciples directly. He wants them to get it. He wants them to understand who he is and why what he says is so important. And the clearest picture of who Jesus really is is about to take place. So we're getting into Mark 4 again, Mark 4, 37. Mark 4, 37. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so much that the boat was already filling up. So this is the Sea of Galilee right, for you geography people. This is the Sea of Galilee, and this body of water is famous even today for sudden, strong storms. Even today, you don't just wander out into the Sea of Galilee unless you know what you're doing, because here's why. To the east of the Sea of Galilee, there are tall mountains, nearly 10,000 feet tall, big dogs, right? And to the west of the Sea of Galilee is hill country. 
So you've got the cold air coming off the mountains, meeting the warm air coming off the water, and inevitably these swirls will take place all the time. And then we get into Mark 4.38. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Again, it's interesting. So in the middle of this big storm, it's interesting that Jesus is not only asleep in the middle of the storm, but this verse is smack in the middle of the passage. 35, 36, and 37 kind of set up the scene. 39, 40, and 41 show the result. But smack in the middle in verse 38 is Jesus. Now, the Bible wasn't originally put into verses, but even still, smack in the middle of this story is Jesus. Jesus is who Mark wants you to see. He is the center focus of the story, and he is sleeping. There's a t-shirt that a lot of college kids wear um, in Christian circles. It's on Amazon if you really want it, but it says, it says, Mark 438, Jesus took naps, be like Jesus. That's powerful. Um, And this is actually a great thing to remember. I know it's funny, but it's actually a great thing to remember. And here's kind of our first takeaway. Christian souls, so Christian souls, not Christian bodies, Christian souls don't have the same sleep pattern as the rest of the world. Christian souls don't have the same sleep pattern as the rest of the world. Here's what I mean. When storms in our lives rage, here's what the world does. When storms in our lives rage, not that you can relate to this right now, right? When storms in our lives rage, here's what the world does. If they're adults, they get on Facebook and they rant and they rave and they go crazy. And if they're students, if they're you guys, they'll, they'll post some really strange kind of in-my-feelings TikTok that makes everyone kind of uncomfortable. It doesn't really make sense. But maybe, and maybe you don't have social media and, and that's okay, but we, we rant and we rave and we stress and we take that stress out on our families and on and on. But Jesus' example shows us that as Christians, when storms rage around us, we can still put our head on the pillow and trust in the middle of the webs. Remember Jesus' words from earlier? He says, come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What's interesting is that in that text, Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say that he'll take away our circumstances, Right? This is even better. He doesn't even mention circumstances. He just says, I'll give you rest. It's almost his way of saying, he can give us rest no matter what our circumstances are. I'm not going to list your circumstances because they are irrelevant to whether or not I can give you rest. The God who slept in the middle of the sea will give you rest no matter what storm rages around you. Moving forward, Mark 4, 39 Mark 4.39 says this, And he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Hush, be still. I love that translation, NASB, of course. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. So he got up. He re- so, so, so Jesus gets up. He rebukes the wind and said to the waves, Be still or be silent. And this is important because earlier in Mark, and we we won't read it, but earlier in Mark 125, there's a man who's demon-possessed in the synagogue, and when Jesus casts the demon out, he says the exact same thing. Mark, so so he he says the exact same thing, the demons and it works, He, he, he rebukes the storm and it works. Mark is showing us that Jesus has total authority over everything, from demons 
and angels to the wind and the waves, the same, Jesus just says the same thing, and they go perfectly silent. And it's important also to see here, it's, it's, just, it's very simple, right? It's just a few words. He got up and he rebuked it. And it tells us what he said, but he really, he stands up and he rebukes it. There's no, he, he doesn't roll up his sleeves. He doesn't have to meditate beforehand. He just speaks. In the Greek of the New Testament, it literally, Jesus literally says, be quiet and stay quiet. And the storm goes from raging so intensely that lifelong fishermen were terrified to being perfectly calm. And it's also important to see here, the wind died down, but also the sea became still. And here's how we know it's not, you know, because it could be a coincidence, right? He gets up, he says, be quiet, and the wind dies down right as he says it. But let me give you an example. Last summer, uh, our youth group went to Florida for beach camp. Well, the first two days, there was a huge storm, so we couldn't get in the water. But even by the third day, when the storm had stopped, when the winds had died down, we still couldn't get in the water because even though the wind had stopped, the waves were still crashing in from when the wind had been blowing so hard over the last couple of days. Now think, it, and you know this, it takes time for the ocean to calm down even when the wind is completely gone. It could take hours, even days for the waves to stop, but not here. Mark specifically says that the, that the sea had stopped. Have you ever looked at a lake or even a pool and the water is perfectly still? It almost looks like glass. That's what happened here. The word for, for great storm is the same word used for great, again, to describe this great calm or perfectly still. Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Mark 4, verse 40. And Jesus said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus gives us a clue about fear here. He does not say, why are you still afraid? Be brave, as if bravery is the key to beating fear. Not, not according to Jesus. He says in response to their fear, do you still have no faith? A few years ago, my dad had some pain and swelling in his ankle, and it turns out that he had a blood clot. The blood cells had stuck together and kept building up and eventually slowed the blood flow in his leg. And finally, he went to the doctor, which is about Skip's last resort of defense, right? And so he went to the doctor and they said, we may have to have surgery on this, but we want to try this medicine first. Once this gets in your bloodstream, it should break up that clot. Once this gets in your bloodstream, it should break up that clot. And it, and it worked and my dad's been fine ever since. But I want you to see that in the same way, fear, especially in times like this, in the same way, fear clots in our soul. It comes in through our lives and circumstances, and we focus on it, and we obsess over it. And it never flows out of our hearts like it's supposed to. Instead, it builds and clots and our whole lives become stopped up with anxiety. But let me share with you what Jesus is saying here. When we get the truths of the Bible into our bloodstream, so you got a clot, right? When we get the truths of the Bible into our bloodstream, those truths, those promises hit those clotted fears and break them apart. You show me a Christian 
who is ranting and raving every day on Facebook. I'll show you a so-called Christian who's not spending enough time in their Bible. This is why Bible reading and Bible memorization are so important. Writing the truths on your bathroom mirror or, or in your locker, whenever you guys get to go back to lockers, keeping that note on, as the background of your phone, whatever it looks like for you. Applying a specific promise of the Bible to a specific fear that you have is just like applying medicine to a clot. It'll break up that fear. Fire, put another way, fire needs kindling to burn. You don't just have fire. Fire needs kindling to burn. And the kindling of Scripture allows our faith to burn hot. And that burning faith can melt the fear in our hearts. Where is your faith? He doesn't say pull yourself up and be brave. He says, no, no. Where is your faith? And that faith will act like a heat-seeking missile to the clot of fear in your heart. But you need the Bible and prayer to do it. Looking back a little bit, Mark 4.38. This is another point that Jesus has drawn out here. Mark 4.38. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Do you not care? They're, They're accusing him almost. The disciples are falling into that classic thing that you and I fall into all the time. Jesus, if you really loved me, you wouldn't have let this happen. Jesus, if you really loved me, you wouldn't be putting me through this. And Jesus responds, do you still have no faith? Jesus is telling his disciples and us essentially, whoa, 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 you know that's not true. The people I love still go through storms. Let me say it to you like this, and this is from Tim Keller. If God is big enough for us to worship, then he has to be big enough to work in ways that we don't understand. Let me say that again. It's in bold, so you know it's important. If God is big enough for us to worship, then he has to be big enough to work in ways that we don't understand. If your God only works within your comfort zone, then he's not your God. Your comfort zone is. The disciples couldn't handle Jesus sleeping because they couldn't figure out in their minds how God could still be good during the storm. And Jesus says, do you still have no faith? You need to mark that word. Do you still have no faith? Meaning, I've given you everything you need to believe up to this point. To know that I love you. To know that I won't abandon you in this. If I've loved you up to this point, if I've still loved you, If I've loved you through everything else I've done, don't you think that I still love you now? If I've loved you through every other part of your life, what makes you think I would all of a sudden stop loving you in the scary parts? Mark 4.41. It's interesting, the disciples' reaction here. They became very much afraid. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So, so it's just funny because sometimes we'll preach this almost as if Jesus will, will there, there's peace and, and he'll bring that. And, and, and I think that is part of the message here. But it's also important to see that even though the storm is now calm, the disciples are not calm. In fact, they're worse than they were during the storm. They're more afraid. Why, though? Because they've seen the real thing. 
In Mark 1, Jesus teaches in the synagogue, and it's awesome. The people love him. Then he exercises a demon in the synagogue, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law. Anytime you can get in in with the mother-in-law, that's a check in the box, right? And as soon as the Sabbath is over, people are coming to him from miles away. He's a rock star, and the disciples love it there. The next day, you can read this in Mark 1 and 2, the next day, the disciples get up early, which is a miracle in and of itself, amen, and they go looking for Jesus, and they say, everyone's looking for you. They're basically, in, in modern terms, they're saying, come on, Jesus, we've got, we've got T-shirts printed, we've got the book deal, we're making a podcast, which would be very important in today's age, right? You're famous. They want more. We want more. But now in Mark 4, they want to get off. They didn't sign up for this. Why? Why here? Because they had seen great speakers before. They had doctors who could heal people sometimes. But to calm a storm surrounded by mountains in the Sea of Galilee, not just the wind, which would be a coincidence, but the waves as well, no teacher could do that. No doctor could do that. No spiritual man could do that. No man could do that, period. Jesus has been showing them over and over, right? Explaining the parables, pulling them aside after class so that they'll get it. And finally, here, it begins to happen. They finally begin to see that Jesus is not just a teacher, which is what a lot of people will say of him today. Oh, I love his teaching. Well, he's he's not just a teacher. He's not just a healer. He's not just a spiritual expert. He's not just a good guy. Then who is he? Psalm 65, listen to this. Praise awaits you, O God, our Savior. So they're talking to God. You, O God, who stilled the roaring of the sea and the waves. Psalm 89. Who is mighty as you are, O Lord? You, O Lord, rule the raging of the sea. When its waves rise, you still them. The disciples knew their Bible, specifically their Old Testament. Those verses are about God, Yahweh, the ruler and defender of Israel, creator of the world. He controls the waves. And they just saw Jesus from Nazareth do the exact same thing. For the first time, they finally begin to see Jesus isn't an influencer who's after fans. He's God, and he seeks followers. In the classic book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Aslan, who's the lion, um, is the character that represents Jesus in C.S. Lewis's story. And when they find out about Aslan, Susan, one of the characters, asks if he's a safe lion. You know, is, is he cuddly? Is he, is he comfortable? Does he go along with my plans? And one of the characters that knows Aslan responds, Safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he is good. He's the king. He's good. He's not safe, but he's good. I've never been very close to a lion before. But that's exactly what happened to the disciples that night in the boat. They went from thinking of this Jesus as as just a great guy to finally getting a glimpse of who he really was. They were looking the Lion of Judah in the face.
This is why Jesus says to his disciples, in, in essence, why are you afraid of the storm? You're with me. I'll tell you this much. If I was in a cage with a lion, I wouldn't be afraid of anything else in that cage. Have you seen the lion, right? I wouldn't be afraid of anything else in that cage. And, and this is important. It, you know, you think back on Jonah. The dude was swallowed alive by a great fish. The disciples just saw Jesus calm a storm at point blank, and they're terrified. This, this is, and it sounds, you know, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit you with a hammer, but, but this is actually, I think, comforting. It reminds us that Jesus does great good in the middle of very scary things. If Jonah being swallowed alive in the middle of the ocean, if Jesus calming this storm just by telling it to be quiet, and the disciples are are scared of that, it reminds us that. Hospital rooms are scary. <laughs> Doing your taxes is scary. Amen? Having difficult conversations with family members is, is scary. But this text reminds us that, that even in the midst of scary, it's not scary to Jesus. He is working in the middle of the scary. And that is so important because we think when scary things are here, it means God is gone. It means God is absent. But Jesus has shown us, Mark is showing us here. Even in the story, go back and read Jonah again. In the middle of the scary things, Jesus is weaving a tapestry of such goodness and beauty. We can't even begin to imagine it. And so as things continue to stay, maybe they stay scary or they are scary. That doesn't mean Jesus is gone. It doesn't mean that God has abandoned us in any way. On the contrary, he's doing a deeper work than we can imagine. Whatever storm is raging in your life now, whatever storm right is raging in your life, take comfort in knowing that it's just a leaky faucet compared to Jesus' power. But there's something more than that. One more thing that's even more than that. I don't just see Jesus so strong and mighty protect me. If you read the rest of the book of Mark, I see him die for me. When I see Jesus as the lion, that, that helps me. But when I see that powerful lion choose to become a lamb and die in my place, it doesn't just protect me, it changes my heart. There will be terrible storms in our lives. And what we have to remember, what we have to do is remember that Jesus doesn't just stay far off moving the winds and the waves. No, no. He buried himself in the deepest ocean. He threw himself into the strongest wind of God's justice on the cross for us. God loved us in the deepest storm, which is why Mark writes this. He knows that if Jesus loved us by throwing himself into the deepest storm of the cross, then he will be with us in every single other storm that could ever come our way. Let's pray together.